0: Hi everyone, this is Jim Robbins, and this is the Good and Noble Heart podcast, and with me today again is Drew Farley, author of God Without Religion, and this is part two of our little mini-series we're doing, and um, this time we're going to be talking about the benefits of having already died. And one of the curious phrases that Andrew uses in his book is that we need to attend our own funeral. So, Drew, let's start off with that. What do you mean by we need to attend our own funeral?
1: It's a story, you know, involving my grandmother. I She was late, as they say, late to her own funeral. Um, we were standing by the graveside, and there was a um, uh, basically an empty hole in the ground, and there was no casket to put in it. And so <laughs> we called the hearse driver, and... Uh, he said, we are, uh, you know, about an hour out, and it'll take us a while. We went the wrong way. We went north on Route 95 instead of south, so we'll be there shortly. So the minister started that ceremony, the funeral. He started it without a body and got to the part where, you know, you say ashes to ashes and dust to dust and try to uh, commit her body to the ground, and then he turned to us and said, we can't go any further. Uh, we just can't finish this funeral without the deceased being here. So eventually, uh, the, the hearse driver rolled up and uh, delivered the deceased. And it was a bearded lady hearse driver. I mean, a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful beard in a pinstripe suit. She popped out of the hearse and said, uh, I'm ready to do the funeral. And I delivered the deceased finally. Sorry, I'm late. And we said, ready to do the funeral. And my mom, you know, her normally calm facade now showing a few cracks. Uh, was basically saying, hey, we've got this minister who's halfway through. We're ready to finish this deal. And so, uh, you know, after that, it seems like, as far as I recall, the the funeral really went off without a hitch. <laughs> but uh, it was pretty awkward there. And I ask people in the book, you know, in God Without Religion, I'm saying, are you late to your own funeral? Because Paul, in Romans chapter 6, says, do you not know? Uh, so apparently, you can be a Christian but not know something. He says, Do you not know that you were crucified, buried, and raised with Christ? And so, that heart surgery, that DNA swap, I think there's a whole lot of us Christians running around and we think that we're dirty and distant. We think we're supposed to do our best to live for God, but really, we want to sin. We want to sin. And part of your ministry, I know, is to point out people's good and noble heart, uh, that they desire what God wants at the core. And that's what I'm saying, too. I'm saying that our old self died and that uh, we shouldn't look at ourselves as dirty sinners that want to sin, but we need to attend our own funeral and celebrate our death and realize who we are now.
0: Mm. Yeah, and having done a few funerals myself, um, I've seen some bizarre things, but I think that's topped everything that I've ever heard of at a funeral. <laughs>
1: um, yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah, this this idea that um, we're right now actually righteous saints, and we couldn't in our nature become any more righteous at any point in the future because all we have for righteousness is in our new nature at this point. But I think what trips some Christians up is this idea that you address of positional versus actual righteousness, or in some circles it's called imputed versus imparted. And when I was speaking one time to a group of men, I actually had a guy challenge me on this issue that he only believed it was kind of credited to us that we kind of had a check mark on God's, you know, cosmic ledger that said we're righteous, but, well, we can't possibly be righteous yet in this life. How could anyone possibly yeah. claim that? So, yeah, talk about that positional versus actual, and even that progressive idea that some people have.
1: Well, the problem is, is that we wouldn't be heaven ready, uh, and that's an important thing to consider. Remember that, you know, when we when we die and we leave this world, we need to be heaven-ready, and uh, when the Bible talks about us going to heaven, it talks about only one further change, and that is the redemption of our bodies. It doesn't talk about the redemption of our spirit, it doesn't talk about the redemption of our soul, and the reason is because those have already been fixed, they are heaven-ready. So the person who believes in imputed righteousness but doesn't believe it's imparted, the person who believes we're positionally righteous, but not actually righteous, uh, or the person that believes that we are progressively becoming righteous, uh, the problem is one day you're going to get hit by a Mack truck, and you're going to meet Mack, and then you're going to meet your maker, and uh, you had better be heaven ready. And so my point is this, that, uh, you know, we are not getting more righteous, nor are we told that we're going to get a last-minute polish before we hit heaven. Uh, we have to realize that in our spirits, uh, salvation is literally and actually, not just positionally, but literally and actually getting the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so we share in him, and he's actual and and real, not just positional, and he is now. And so, uh, you know, although the same people that say that our righteousness is positional, uh, they believe that they have the Holy Spirit, well, then what are they saying? The Holy Spirit can reside in a dirty place. Hmm. Um, and so there's an inconsistency there. Uh, we have to be made holy in order for the Holy Spirit to reside in us. We have to be made right in in order for the righteous one to live within us. And so that's here and that's now. And, you know, it makes no sense at all and its absolute double talk to say that uh, Christ literally and actually lives in us, but yet we are literally and actually still dirty sinners at the core. Um, he he just can't live there, so he he purifies and reserves a place for himself, comes to live in us, and you know all of this jargon, the positional stuff. I mean, it's not it's not in the scriptures. What we're doing is we're trying to explain why we still sin. And so in, in looking for a reason that why we still sin, we come up with this terminology. But Paul tells us, you know, we sin because of the flesh, and we sin because of the power of sin that tempts us. And those are the explanations we're given. So we shouldn't be fabricating uh, extra biblical terminology in order to explain why we still sin.
0: And and in what what good would it possibly do someone to have... A goodness sort of credited to them on paper but not actually residing within them Um, why would Jesus say you know I have this goodness for you but I'm not going to give it to you
1: you know Mm
0: -hmm. uh, you're just gonna have to struggle through the rest of your life with your addictions with those things you can't overcome those things you wish were changed you're gonna have to struggle with that without any real power of goodness but I'm gonna kind of make it like I've credited to I mean that would be useless Um, And I love the phrase, you've got this great phrase that says, grace won't work for just anybody. It's only intended for those who've been made new at the core. It's our newness with Christ, working with the freedom of grace, that unleashes, unleashes expressions of God's spirit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's like we're missing half of the gospel. If we freak out about grace, if we freak out about total forgiveness, if we freak out about freedom from the law, it's because we're not seeing the other half, what you talk about, the good and noble heart. I mean, the purified heart, the desires have been changed. That DNA swap is the second half of the gospel. And you know, uh, you're right, what use is it if it's just credited? I mean, that's what Abraham had. It was credited to him as righteousness. The Old Testament saints, they were holding an IOU, and it says they would not be made perfect apart from us. Uh, And so they were looking forward to the cross uh, uh, in some way. They were looking forward to Messiah, and they were hanging on to promises. But we, we're looking back on the cross, we're looking back on the resurrection, and we live on this side of Calvary. And so we're able to enjoy the reality, not just a shadow or a promise. And so when we call things positional, when we relegate things to a bin of positional truth, then we're missing out On the very fact that the relationship is now, the presence of God is now, and the new spirit that we have, not just God's spirit, but our new spirit is here and now, and, and, and we need to get our identity from there.
0: And um, just so that folks know, I want to make sure that next time in, in our next podcast, we want to address why Christians can still sin, because that's, we don't, we're not suggesting in any way that they can not still sin, but the reason is much different than most Christians have been told, so we will get to that later. But um, you know, as you indicate in the book, you say we're essentially trying to act like someone we don't believe we are. Yeah. In other words, we haven't recognized the alreadyness of our thorough purity, this new nature. And what that does is leads us to certain myths. So I want to tackle two myths that you talk about. One is the myth that we need to die to self. Why mm-hmm. is that a myth? Why is that not scriptural?
1: Well, there's not a single verse that would tell a Christian that they need to engage in the ongoing act of trying to kill themselves or kill a part of themselves. Uh, The closest thing you're going to find is offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, Uh, not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. So God is not trying to kill us anymore. Uh, He already did. Uh, We were crucified with Christ. And so uh, it's not that we need to try to die to self or get our old self dead. Uh, we were crucified with Christ. And there's a very big difference between counting on that as true versus trying to make it more true or trying to add to what's already been done. And so, you know, you just you just think, well, what's going on here? Uh, and I think it comes down to spirit versus soul. I think people have developed a theology of the soul, and let me explain a little bit of that. I mean, you know, in my mind, I have fluctuations. In my in my uh, emotions, I have fluctuations. I feel things. I ride the roller coaster of the soul. And so I feel close and distant and close and distant, and I feel dirty and clean from moment to moment. Well, if I look to my soul for theology, then I'm going to develop this theology of the soul that says everything is progressive, and I'm not quite ready for God yet, I'm not quite pure yet, I'm not quite righteous yet, I'm not quite holy yet, and as I do that I'm describing the fluctuations of emotion and thoughts in my soul. But God says that we are to worship Him in spirit and in truth, uh, not in soul and emotion. And so I don't get my theology from the soul, I get it from the Spirit and from the Word of God, and that makes all the difference.
0: Hmm. Um, and that kind of leads to sort of a, a corollary, corollary to the dying-to-the-self myth, which that phrase is not even in Scripture. But people will say, well, aren't we supposed to take up our cross? And <laughs> and as with many things, if we don't understand the context, if we just wholesale apply it sort of post-cross and resurrection, as if everything applies equally across the board will miss that and and misconstrue mm-hmm. that. So what was that in the context in which Jesus was saying? What was the idea of taking up
1: your cross? Well, I think he's talking about inheriting the Kingdom of God. He's talking about following Him. He's talking about, if you really want relationship with me, you've got to die. You can't just say you follow my teachings, but you've got to follow me to death. You've got to follow me to Calvary. And that's exactly what we Christians do uh, when we uh, come to faith, we are crucified uh, with Christ we're in Christ and we're buried with him and raised with him and so galatians two twenty is the answer to that that we've been crucified with christ romans six six is the answer to Jesus' invitation that our old self has died so People will say, but wait a minute, Jesus says take up your cross daily. Well, you know, I don't think that you crucify yourself over and over and over and over again, just like Jesus himself says that he died to sin once for all, and then he says, Consider yourselves in the same way, consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God. And that's what he's saying through the apostle Paul. And and so what does that daily mean? Well, the closest thing we have to it on this side of the cross is reckon yourselves. You know, wake up every day and reckon yourselves dead, count yourselves dead, take up your cross daily and say, look, I am dead to sin and alive to God. I'm not going to get any deader. I'm not going to get any aliver. I can't improve upon this. This is my identity.
0: So really in that context about taking up your cross, it's not a spiritual growth message. It's a salvation invitation.
1: Yeah, and that's that's a big deal to recognize, because people kind of conflate the two, and a lot of what Jesus says is a salvation message. I mean, we don't have time for it today. I know we're wrapping up, but I mean basically in Matthew, uh, you look at uh, some of his harsh statements, and people say, you know, that some of those harsh teachings of Jesus are are for spiritual growth, you know, do your best, pluck out your eye, cut off your hand, those just mean do your best. Well, no, in context, man, they mean in order to see the kingdom of heaven, and if you don't do these things, you'll be in danger of the fires of hell. And so we need to call a spade a spade here. And, you know, Jesus is talking about a relationship with him that is entered into through death. And we Christians have that, and we shouldn't wake up every day and try to get it over and over and over.
0: Right. And we talked about some of those um, really strange uh, sayings of Jesus about if you don't, you know, pluck out your eye, you'll be in risk of hell. We talked about that last podcast so people can go back and listen to that first one to get a little bit more full understanding of what we were saying there. Um, because it'll bring a lot of relief to people if they understand what he was saying. Uh, last thing. Um, when I was growing up, I had um it plagued me for many, many years that i I didn't feel I was different as a Christian than anyone else I knew. I'd sort of grown up with morality, grown up in the in the church, so to speak, but i'd always always felt there was nothing significantly different about me, so of course, I just felt guilty so is there anything a Christian must die to now? Or is that so complete that we can even walk away from that question?
1: Yeah, I I wouldn't try to die to anything. I mean, again, you know, we put to death the deeds of the body, uh, talking about don't let your body run your life, and that's obviously tapping into the force called the flesh, but you know i mean the really the battle is between the flesh and the spirit and this is a really interesting thing you see in galatians 5 verse 16 to 17 it says you know that the spirit wages war against the flesh and the flesh wages war against the spirit you say well where am i well i'm not in that battle yeah it affects me but i'm not the fighter and so the mm. flesh is not the flesh is not my foe and the flesh is not my fight. The fight, the battle, belongs to the Lord, and we say that, right? We say the battle belongs to the Lord, and we can sing that stuff all day long, Mm. but then we go out and try to defeat the flesh, defeat the flesh,
0: and the reality
1: is, is that that was never our battle. And so, essentially, Paul is saying there's a simple solution. Walk by the Spirit, walk beside the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, realize He's in you and you're in Him, and just focus on that relationship don't take up a battle that was never yours to begin with.
0: Mm. That's a great point. Um, All right, Drew, this has been short and sweet, but I think it's been meaty for folks. Um, Next time I want to talk about why is it that Christians can still sin? And I think there's a lot of confusion about what's the flesh, is it the old man coming back and raising up his ugly head, or is the old man gone? Um, What is this thing called sin that Paul talks about almost as an alien invasion in our bodies? I think it'll bring a lot of relief and clarity to people. So, Drew, as always, thanks, and uh, we'll talk again. Okay. Thank you. I look forward to it. Hey, thanks, Drew. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.